Did the has anyone seen the Disney Pinocchio from last year? I literally didn't even know that it came out. <laughs> like that's how Lucky. I feel like it just flew completely <laughs> under my radar. I haven't seen it, and now now I kind of want to. Now that we just watched this one, I'd be interested to just watch it and compare because I'm sure it's apples and oranges, like it, as far as the storyline goes. But I probably need like a little break from the Pinocchio thing because like this one was quite like an emotional journey. <laughs> Did yeah, you watch it today, Bridget, or had you already seen it? I had already watched it. Uh, we watched it when it came out. Anytime something comes out on Netflix, Scarlett is on it. She already knows it's coming out. She like waits for it. I think it's because she's watched everything on Netflix at this point for her age group. Um, so we, we watched it as soon as it came out. But I actually didn't watch the other Pinocchio because I heard it wasn't that good. So I haven't watched the Disney one, which I probably should just to, you know, say I did, but I haven't. So, but yeah, I didn't hear it was great. It didn't have any rave reviews. So I was like, okay, I won't watch it then. <laughs> I think like this one is just like, it shows how you can retell a story without doing a remake. Do you know what I mean? Obviously this isn't Disney at all, but some of these stories do have these other meanings that can be kind of pulled to the surface that oftentimes remakes sort of like ignore that. Like I feel... Like, obviously, the Disney remakes, they try to stick so close to the animated version and keep the original fans happy. But this was just the perfect example of how you can tell a story again and just make it completely new, even though it's the same thing. Like, there were so many unexpected moments in this movie. I was not prepared for um, it. Yeah. No. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you once again, Jody, for returning for this week's show, um, I definitely wanted to get your perspective on, you know, the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio film. You were talking about like visiting a World War II memorial recently or a museum. Um, so, I mean, you got some perspective, I think, on on the time period. On uh, fascism, yeah. Like, let's get my big take uh, on that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Bridget, welcome back to the Thodcast. Uh, so, both of you joining from. Uh, Georgia, and then I'm up here in northern Minnesota, where it's only seven degrees, and it's in the 70s for you. So a nice contrast. But yeah, this is Philip Elke for the Thodcast conversations about animation. Today we're talking Pinocchio, the uh, Golden Globe winning uh, Pinocchio film by Guillermo del Toro from 2022, one of three Pinocchio films that came out in 20. We'd only be talking about two of them, but I guess we throw the Polly Shore one in just for uh, comedic effect. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing until you like mentioned it the lot, like one of the times we've talked briefly about it. And I was like, I did not, I didn't see it like posted anywhere. No one talked about it. I don't know that people know it exists, honestly um yeah i mean in, in memes and stuff um i don't know if you watched like honest trailers they did uh accumulate like a a compilation review or a trailer for all three pinocchio films from 2022 um so got they they were uh roasting the poly shore one pretty good and, and i'm interested in seeing it now just because of how wild i think it's like a russian production or something so yeah, it's like one of those, like, like, it's a weird, 
I, I actually, I did watch that and I, obviously I just completely blanked on the Polly Shore part, but it was like, kind of like a weird, like, looks like it was kind of like a low budget film, like animation yeah, yeah, done somewhere else. It's odd. Skidoo, 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 skidoo. <laughs> Those little things. That's uh, a classic. Um, yeah. And uh, this one being, of course, uh, stop motion animation. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. Um, yeah, stop motion animated. The the Poly Shore one was fully CGI animated, and then Robert Zemeckis uh, adaptation of Pinocchio from 1940 from Walt Disney. Uh, that was live action animation hybrid. So we we've skipped right to this one. Whether we cover any of those other two, uh, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, that <laughs> that the Disney Pinocchio remake. Uh, sitting at a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, a, a bit, maybe a bit of a, I don't know, sign of what to, to expect from Disney live action in terms of some of these uh, animated uh, remakes that they're doing. Uh, hopefully it doesn't bode poorly for um, upcoming Little Mermaid. Yeah, people are really excited. Yeah, it looks good. I feel like people have such high hopes for it that Disney, if there was anything that might have looked lazy or imperfect, I feel like Disney has gone back to like edit it. There hasn't been as many teasers as you would expect, considering the movie's like coming out in a hundred days or something. And I think it's because Disney probably now that there's been so much like online chatter about the movie. They're, I wouldn't be surprised if they're editing certain things or if they're adding in more CGI or taking away CGI, like, and just really, really being critical with their own. Not that they're not like that with all their movies, but I do think this one in particular, they're they're not going to leave any stone unturned for any type of like, oh, Disney tried to get away with like making the Black Princess movie like less than in any capacity. Because I mean, there's been so much controversy about, controversy about the casting that I just feel like Disney's going to go all out so that there's no excuse for people to like hate it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like if they hate it, it's just because they suck. Not because yeah, because they've sucks. already did <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I feel like anyone going into it with an open mind, Disney's going to throw everything. I hope. I hope that's the case anyway because I I think Little Mermaid's obviously one of my favorites, but actually Pinocchio was one of my favorite Disney movies too. So that this is a fun one for me. Yeah, it's like an OG. And it's kind of like a like a hot take for me is that I haven't really been very impressed with any of the live action stuff. Aladdin was okay to me. Beauty and the Beast, she that is one of my favorites. Belle's my OG princess from when I was a kid. Even that one kind of, like I did like it, but some parts fell flat for me and felt unnecessary. And like Lion King, I, don't get me started. But like, I haven't really been impressed with any of the live action. So I'm like, I have high hopes for The Little Mermaid because I love The Little Mermaid. That, you know, came out when I was literally like four or five. So I remember it vividly. And so I'm like, I think it did. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. Um, but yeah, so I remember that vividly. So I'm like, okay, please don't mess this up. <laughs> don't make Flounder look weird. Just yeah, good <laughs> movie. And she's such a great singer. Like she's such a good singer that I'm like, I know that she's going to knock it out of the park. So they just need to, you know, do their part and make sure everything looks great. <laughs> Ron Tomatoes is down right now. I'm guessing just for maintenance, but 
Yeah, we're recording this. One this one has a 97. <laughs> well, Guillermo's Pinocchio has a 97%. That's not what I was wondering, but just oh. <laughs> what, because uh, I can see the aggregate scores just from the Google results. But, um, you know, would there be something going on where people are re currently in the midst of a review bombing run on Rotten Tomatoes to where they just had to shut the whole thing down? Um, but I mean, on a Wednesday night, I can't imagine what, uh, maybe on a Thursday night when people are, you know, able to watch early screenings of a uh, new release, like tomorrow, I think is Creed three that comes out. <laughs> people review bombing, uh, Creed three. Uh, I didn't uh, know that they made a second one. <laughs> I'm out of the loop on the Creed coming out tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> of all the things to be out of the loop on though, like that's fine. It's fine. And I was <laughs> for wrong. Me, for me, that's fine. Like, nah. Yeah, so I was wrong. Little Mermaid was 1989. I did not exist yet. So I was wrong. But I do, I had like the VHS. So I watched it. It was new to me. Okay, guys? <laughs> yeah. The, no, I, I mean, obviously we remember it when it was still a, a new film and animation was on the rise in the 90s during kind of that uh, 90s renaissance. Um, you know, it's kind of a short-lived period too that um i i mean to to this day there's still a lot of animation being produced on like a uh major motion picture and, and mid-tier scale but it's it's not really the same you know like the the animaniacs you know cell animation um you know some of those marvel cartoons bat and batman animated series you know there's x-men there's uh, obviously batman's dc but you know that the superhero genre in general you know saw, saw a major renaissance of like a very high quality polished television animation and and nowadays it's just so tough to sustain that type of thing it's just that because that uh, style has become you know replaced by uh, the the more digital process but yeah we're we're revisiting uh one of the oldest forms of animation the oldest apparently uh, ever put to film uh, stop motion using stop motion puppets um but yeah a variety of styles that that go into um this film and it's it is really truly something special it is the longest stop motion animated film so so our first coverage of a pinocchio film despite um disney having a fairly major release with their robert zemeckis uh Pinocchio film released to Disney Plus last year. It's just uh, not not a lot of enthusiasm behind that. And we'll definitely be on top of the the upcoming Little Mermaid film. Um, ge generally, a lot more uh, affection and enthusiasm towards that, I think, because of just the nature of our generation being primed for um, a revisiting of those characters. Uh, but yeah, Pinocchio... Um, who wants to go first? Um, I will, I guess. So I already liked Guillermo. I was going to say that like two of my favorite movies are Pan's Labyrinth and Crimson Peak, which are ones that he did. And I've always sort of liked his movies and like the monsters and like the fairy tale and Catholicism that's all sort of woven in together. But when I first saw the trailers for his Pinocchio, I wasn't sure what to think of it just because it looked so gritty and dirty. And then my mom reminded me that growing up, we had the like original Pinocchio book. And so like I pulled it out, actually, she brought it over today. And like how 
how the original book really was like pretty somber and like pretty sad and like um but basically I I really liked it I was like obsessed with it so I'm happy we watched it because for some reason even though I liked Del Toro I wasn't planning on watching this one until we decided we were going to talk about it today and I feel like I'm stumbling over my words because the movie is just like so full of themes and thoughts and characters that are really deeply thought out that my brain is almost at this point like bursting just trying to sort out my feelings on everything but overall I'd give it like a 10 out of 10 obviously this isn't like a kids movie but it's definitely a family movie in the sense that it explores a lot of topics that I mean kids and adults need to explore like death and authority and rebellion and things like that so I thought it was absolutely wonderful and I'm just going to try to like make my answers concise tonight because I just think there's a billion million things you could say about this movie and keeping it all together might be kind of tough. So I love Guillermo del Toro and I actually really liked the way that he did the story because of course I've seen the original. I grew up with that. Um, but I thought that he gave a lot more life to the story. And it's funny because you know the whole story is about this wooden boy coming to life. But it's like he there's like more like emotional like development and value within Geppetto within Pinocchio and I kind of like the vibe that he's like these people are not just like a two-dimensional character they you know they grow and they've gone through things and I mean it was a lot darker like I watched it with my kids but <laughs> there was some parts that Oliver was like freaked out about Scarlet wasn't phased but like I mean they have like guns and I was like that's you know this is not Disney uh when that happened <laughs> um but yeah I just thought I like I really liked the story and I like that he when he become like he doesn't become a real boy because like if you think about like he is a real boy regardless um and so it's not so much like changing who you are to like appease other people to fit into their mold but more of like let me offer a different viewpoint to you and they can kind of grow with that and so I thought it was just I mean you know there's also like fascism and mortality but <laughs> I just like the concise like, like I like that he went different it's not yeah. so much focused on like oh yeah you have to be this way if you want to be real and like, I don't know. It was just really interesting. I liked it. It was very different from the original. Yeah. I appreciated a fresh update on on the material, especially considering all that happened over the, the course of history in Italy in the uh, successive decades post-publication of the original Pinocchio, um, who's, uh, which was written by... Carlo Collodi. Um, Carlo, of course, uh, a name that's carried into this film in an important character from, from the start. Um, yeah, it's a, a, an interesting take. Yeah, just like you said with Carlo, like literally from the start, from the jump, you realize how different this story is going to be because Geppetto does have a biological, living, breathing, gentle great listening son and that's not something you've at least i had seen in the previous versions of this and that's when that son passes from a bomb falling from the sky you're like wow this is gonna be a heavier tale that they have to tell and i the grief that geppetto is feeling when he loses his son for like 20 years I honestly like considered like messaging you guys and being like, hey, I don't even think I really want to like watch this one today because my nephew, he kind of speaks in like he's he's bilingual and he speaks German, but 
he speaks a lot like these little boys in the movie. And I was like, man, this is just going to be a hard one to watch. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll get to the point where Pinocchio comes in and Geppetto, he's going to be in love with this little Pinocchio boy. But then I I forgot that like Geppetto is kind of like annoyed by <laughs> Pinocchio because Pinocchio is a little hellraiser. Well, yeah, and that's kind of like if you think about like the original message and the original Pinocchio, it's like, hey, don't be a bad little boy or bad things happen to you. And I think that this movie kind of was like, like, hey, kids are like mischievous. And it's not necessarily that they're being disobedient because they're bad. It's just like they're they're kids. They don't know better. Like they learn like Pinocchio was like, hey, I'm on fire. and This is a great time. And they're like, no, you can't be on fire because you will die. Um, (laughs) So I think it was like a nice like. It very much like it's kind of like the last the last movie we talked about where it's like the kids seem like real kids, mm-hmm. which I thought was nice. I'm like, yeah, these are real kids. Like, it's not just like, OK, you're bad. You become a donkey and now you're good and you're real. Like and how like being quote unquote bad or chaotic or whatever you want to describe him as, especially in the beginning, it's like even with all those attributes to his personality, deep down, all he wants to do is like have Geppetto love him like he is really seeking that approval from who he sees to be as his father and the heartbreak he feels when Geppetto's like you're a burden I'm like oh I felt that because how many times as like a youth did you feel like you were maybe being rebellious or whatever but like you still want your parents to love you through all that and to find out to to feel like you're a burden or be told you're a burden oh that was so sad (laughs) that's when they hit you with the I'm disappointed and you're like yeah right to the heart but I think that was like I I, there was something I read um that Guillermo del Toro said that he wanted to focus kind of the story on not Pinocchio becoming a real boy but um Geppetto becoming a father again so like learning how to become a father and I was like that's like a really good way to look at it because like you know I've been a kid and I've been a parent and like sometimes those things are hard to like balance it's hard to be like a regular person and then also be a parent and make sure you're like you know being a good role model and not like when you're stressed or overwhelmed that you're not you know freaking out on your kids Uh, I I love it I thought it was interesting really such I mean I knew you know I maybe felt a little reservation coming into this film because I knew what a weighty movie it would be you can just tell stylistically it's dark. It's got heavy themes set World War Two era Italy. Uh, you know, Benito Mussolini is a character. <laughs> uh, and just that was one of the I, he's kind of one of the you know lighter elements of the film. His introduction, uh, one of the more kind of uh, traditional slapsticky moments of, of the of the film um, akin to, you know, what we expect from you know, kids animation is essentially the the super long limousine i just love that uh some of that uh uh caricature that you get um later on in the film but just yeah we could really be here i mean almost more than perhaps any other animated film that we've covered on this show um we could it must have taken like 15 years to make this movie didn't they say it was something like that yeah, he announced, I think, in 2008 that he wanted to do Pinocchio. And then now it's 2023. So, so yeah, well, I think they also had setbacks because of COVID, too. 
Uh, yeah, and prior to COVID, um, it was originally going to be like a co-production with French uh, distributor Pate and um, the Jim Henson Company, I believe. Um, I know Jim Henson Company was credited at the start of the film, uh, yeah. but primarily, and, and Jim Henson Company has worked on a Pinocchio project in the past. I think was that Jonathan Taylor Thomas TV movie mm-hmm. in or was it a t- it might not it might have been a theatrical film but it was in the 90s um was uh uh what were they called uh, just Jim Henson Company joint um I can't remember what it's called the only thing that's coming to my head right now is the dark crystal and yeah. I know that's not the movie but that's think, the only one that's in my brain <laughs> Yeah I think that one's called the the adventures of Pinocchio or something the JTT um yeah this one you know, it, it's primarily uh, shadow. Oh shoot, what's what's the production? Shadow Machine, um, and I don't recognize them from a ton of things other than uh, I did see the movie Book Smart, which they did a animated segment for, um, and I guess uh, they've got credits on Robot Chicken uh, in television. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of television stuff I'm seeing here. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, I, a lot of kind of... A lot of hands went yeah. into the pot for this one, and yeah. that's probably... You know, what's good about that is usually you would think if there were so many cooks in the kitchen that the vision might be lost, but clearly this is something where they were able to really like hone in on on the overall vibe and, and the feel of this story because it, there was never a moment in the movie where I felt like, Eh, this part doesn't quite click or like this part doesn't seem to make sense with the storyline. I like admittedly had to like pause it every now and then and like take a little break from it because I could like feel myself sort of like welling up or like getting in my feelings. But it it's consistent. It's a consistent story. So even though there's different production companies coming in on it, I don't feel like you feel much push and pull from within it. And an interesting thing I saw, which makes me think, um del toro really cared about it was he dedicated this one to his parents the memory Mm, of his parents that's right and so i thought that was really special that he pushed through what almost whatever 15 years and all these different production companies whatever to make it so perfect you know uh i couldn't find anything about jim henson being involved by the way i looked i couldn't find anything that they i don't know if they were inspired by them maybe <laughs> on on the wiki they do like name him under the production companies but i mean with Wikipedia, yeah. i guess you never really really know yeah yeah much... like i can't find anything that says like exactly what they did or how they were involved yeah how much made it to the screen um i know a lot of the um visual of, or the essentially the puppets um those designs came from a studio in uh, in the UK that is uh, specializes in de- designing these specialized puppets for stop motion animation because they're they're like um you know Swiss watches in their sophistication um and then they shipped them to the production units in uh, primarily Portland in uh, in Oregon and there's also a unit in uh Guadalajara Mexico that uh, did basically all the scenes set in that um casino afterlife that was that was a different location where they shot most of those scenes 
It was kind of neat. Casino afterlife. I love, <laughs> like, spoiler alert, but obviously at some point, you know, Jimmy Cricket, a.k.a. Sebastian J. Cricket, when he ends up playing poker there with the rest of them at the very end of the movie when he's in his afterlife. I liked that a lot. I, I liked everything about the afterlife. I loved the wood sprite um, with how her eyes glowed and she she was sort of like death, right? And well, she, her and death, I think were separate sisters? characters. Oh, but yeah, they were like sisters. But I, I think that they were voiced by the same person. I think they were both Tilda Swinton. What a beautiful puppet, or what do you call them? These resin figures. They're, yeah. they're puppets. They're puppets. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. They're considered puppets, but like, uh, I don't know if you watched the special, but uh, Philip kind of touched on it earlier, like how they did some of the characters are animated, like Geppetto is animated. Um, what was, what's his face's character? The bad guy. Um, Not, was it Podesta? There's Podesta. Oh, the yeah, Volpe, Count Volpe was the yeah, Christoph Waltz character. Yes, him. Like they both had the... They were puppets, but they had like animatronic faces. So it's like they can raise an eyebrow and they can do this where like Pinocchio didn't have that. Uh-huh. They they had to switch out his faces. Um, so it was like really cool watching that special because they like show you how they did it and how they had like really big versions of them and really small versions of them. And like Jimmy Cricket, like when he gets smashed by things, it's actually like, you know, a pretty big like plate-sized Jimmy Cricket getting smashed. <laughs> yeah. And then they had like really, really tiny ones where he's like not even an inch tall. So it's like really interesting to watch how they did like all the animation and like watching them go through the process of like Pinocchio running through the woods and them doing that. And I was like, man, that it like it was a labor of love for sure, because like it had to have taken so much time, not only doing all that, but then also building all of these sets and these worlds that were so rich with detail. You'd have to assume that some of it was, I mean, and you guys, since you watched that special, maybe, you know, but buffed out with CGI, because I'm sure certain elements it couldn't all have been through these sets and through these pieces that they had to come in and kind of clean it up towards the end. Philip, did you yeah. read of, anything much about that? Yeah, you can even see in some of the process shots, um, you know, there's a lot of green screen in the background. So they were planning on incorporating plenty of visual effects besides just the animation. Um, yeah, and I even listened to a podcast that was all about the editing of this film. It's called The Rough Cut. Uh, very fascinating, just learning more about the process of um, developing the scenes and uh, each take, you know, they, there is like a rehearsal pass and a, and a camera pass. Um, just so you, you have consider like a rehearsal pass for people for like me who doesn't know. It's like every fifth frame, they move the character. Um, and then anytime the there's like a, a big difference between whenever the camera is moving and when the camera is stationary. Uh, if the camera is moving, you'll want to move the puppet uh, and the armatures all um, one frame at a time, because if you don't, it'll strobe if you do it every other frame. Uh, but if uh, if it's if the camera is not moving, it's OK to only move the puppet every other frame. Um, and it still is fairly smooth. It's a little more jittery and you get that jerkiness with um, stop motion regardless because there isn't the motion blur that you get in traditional motion photography. It's just one stationary frame. Um, there are techniques that incorporate motion blur into 
uh, stop motion animation, but that's that was mainly used whenever they had to use stop motion as a visual effect for like a live action film. So in order to preserve that traditional look of the jittery stop motion, they they just like to keep it, you know, the straight up, um, you know, still frame um, photography. And they just use like a standard Canon DSLR camera. It's not not special film cameras that they use for these kind of kind of neat. It's just a consumer level gear that they use. Really? Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is we can make this movie. I was just, just going <laughs> to say, well, you're that, saying there's a chance. <laughs> yeah. Give me 15 years and I don't even think I would have, I don't even think I could make one of those Pinocchio puppet pieces. Yeah. Yeah. You you said, and I don't blame you for this, Jody, at all, but like you weren't even sure going into this that it was a stop motion animated film. No, uh, I had yeah. paused it and I was at the point of Pinocchio... I think it was the Chow Papa song. And I was like, okay, I need to take a break. This is too much. And then when I paused it and it's like, it started, you know how Netflix tries to like tease you on like another thing you can watch. And it was, Mm -hmm. it was the behind the scenes special. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it was talking about the puppet. So I messaged you guys. I was like, wait a minute. So either, (laughs) either I just wasn't paying close enough attention, but I genuinely did not realize that's what it was. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, because the part I felt like there were so many parts that were really, really smooth. And I mean, nowadays you can do CGI to look like stop motion. Do you know what I mean? Like it, you see people who do TikToks where it looks like stop motion, but it's just the way it's being filmed, you know. But I was that way with um and and like some of the people who worked on this film got their start in uh, on the film um, Prince. Uh, what's it? The Corpse Bride. The Corpse Bride. They mm. kind of. It was like the, the two folks. It was in the Bancroft Brothers podcast I listened to. Um, it was like head of animation and um, one of the like production designers or something. But um, they, they had like met on the Corpse Bride, and I remember seeing trailers for that. And it's just so um, stylistically lit, and it you know it has that kind of Tim Burton esque. Um, nightmare before Christmas feel with like the character designs, the, the grim, you know, goth uh, German, uh, what was that um, impressionism look? Uh, but it's just so stylized that I remember like thinking, oh, this this is trying to look like mm-hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas, but I I think this is you know done using computers, and I, I never saw that movie just because it seemed a little bit like. Uh, like an imitation uh, but but no that that film itself is is fully you know stop motion it's just it's a bit more polished i guess than than like nightmare is um but yeah some of these later films as they've perfected the craft you know if they're not careful they can almost render any sort of um imperfection irrelevant um and but if they do so they run the risk of these things looking too much like their computer animated and so they want to leave in as much you know, sort of imperfection as possible i mean these puppets were pretty immaculate right like these pieces pinocchio i mean looking at him and i know you said that there's multiple sizes multiple pieces there's not just one pinocchio figure but they look so much alike I just like these people are true, true artists, people that put together a movie like this. This is one of those 
ones that really makes you you don't want to like overuse the word masterpiece because like you don't want to make it redundant but this really is a masterpiece of people coming together and making something so special i will say i didn't really like the songs but i did like, <laughs> i did i did like, like pretty much everything else the, the songs were weird but i think yeah. that he kind of did that on purpose he was like i don't want it to be a musical like per se it like definitely Dis- gives it focused it like more on the music. Right. And it gave it character. So you're right. There might, there's probably a reason that they're not, I mean, they're not bad songs, but you're right. They give it maybe even more of that, that feeling, that kind of awkward feeling that they want you to have watching it. Maybe. Well, it's like all the songs are like him performing for the most part. I mean, there's a few that aren't, but like him performing and you're like, Oh, that's icky. He's being forced to perform. I felt so bad. <laughs> you know, when the, little puppet master trash monkey um yes says the tura how he can speak through the puppets and they're trying to convince pinocchio like oh you're not the favorite he's not sending your dad money which is actually true but when pinocchio stands up for him and um oh man see this is like i can't remember these characters names and then basically the little monkey is like beaten and screamed at and said like oh i should have left you for dead I felt so bad for him. I mean, he's a nasty little creature, to be honest, but like you feel for him, you know, because I don't know. I So I, I thought, so touching on the monkey, Svazitura, why did they use Kate Blanchett for this random role? It was so weird. She, she was <laughs> a holdover from the cast of Nightmare Alley. Uh, and I've uh, actually, yeah, I, I somehow still haven't seen Nightmare Alley. I keep forgetting. To watch I don't it. think I've watched yeah. it either, but I was just like, I looked up the cast because I was like, oh, like I was like, I'm pretty sure Jimmy Cricket or S- Sebastian Cricket was Ewan McGregor. I picked that out right away. And then, of course, Christoph Waltz. I knew who that was. And I'm like, oh, who are the other people? And I saw Kate Blanchett and I was like, Why? why would you use her just for this role? Like, I would assume that maybe they could have used like Tilda Swinton for like the Sprite and then her for death. I was like, that's a weird choice. But if they just used her because they're like besties, then I guess that makes sense. I mean, it was a fine performance. I I can't say there was anything, you know, lacking in the way it came across as a monkey. Yeah, (laughs) it was was just, odd choice because it's like Kate Blanchett I've seen her in like she does so many like dramatic roles and stuff and I was like that's an interesting choice great interesting Uh, (laughs) yeah you know yeah Nightmare Alley um of course uh, the uh, she's in a Oscar nominated film I think yeah she's got to be one of the leading candidates for uh best actress as Tar, you know Lydia Tar from the film Tar. Uh, I don't know if any of you have seen that, but it's streaming on Peacock. It was really good. I I recently watched that. Um, I hadn't seen that one. I haven't yeah. seen it yet. I haven't yeah. watched anything except for like stuff that we've been watching for this. <laughs> I have not yeah. been good on the watching things. No, I tried to start you, and I haven't. I got like halfway through an episode, and I was like, okay. Yeah, same. That's all I can do. <laughs> yeah, Tar is almost three hours long, uh, but it was addictive. It's it's just it's basically the movie that encapsulates everything about life. <laughs> I don't know. People might say that about everything, everywhere, all at once. But uh, for I me, I still want to watch it. I 
watch that. Was that a good movie? Did you guys watch that movie? Because I, I, I haven't seen that still. Either. I've heard such good things about I it. I have too. I'm like, I've heard it so great. And I'm like, where is it? I should watch it at some point. I'll remember to eventually. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's kind of just about the world crumbling in on someone, <laughs> which is, Perfect. you know, apropos. Um, hmm. But yeah. Uh, but and, then, like, yeah. Oh. Well, and she's a, a conductor. So it's like, we all want to be the the masters of our own lives and, and our destinies. But, mm -hmm. you, you know, we all know how that can go awry sometimes. But you were saying? No, I was just going to like go, I was going to just kind of hop on and finish what I was saying. So like after Pinocchio tries to defend him. And then like mm -hmm. goes out on the stage and like sabotages the big performance for Mussolini. I was like, oh my gosh. And then Mussolini's like, I don't like these puppets. Shoot him. And I was like, oh my God. Like this poor little guy. Except for, I mean, he's not scared of dying because he realizes that he'll come back again after being in the afterlife. But at the beginning, she does sort of warn him like every time you come here, it's going to take longer for you to go back again. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that time it didn't take long at all because it's pretty soon after that he's headed off to that boot camp with um, Candlewick. Right? Well, they leave. Yeah, they leave him there because they're like, oh, he's dead. They don't realize that he can come back to life yet. And so they're like, oh, he's dead. And they leave him. But the town people know that he comes back. And that's how that guy gets him with Candlewick because oh. that that was Candlewick's dad. Uh, I think it's Dottore. I think that was him. Um was the, the bad guy's name. I, I consider him the bad guy because he was not um, nice. Um, <laughs> let me see. Oh, Podesta. Podesta, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, he was Podesta. Okay, then which one was Tertori? I had I to look confused. that up too. Oh, oh Dottori so just means doctor. Yeah, John Turturro. Oh, he's a doctor. Okay. And it's funny because uh, John Turturro was the voice of a uh, stop motion animated character in a little known movie called Monkey Bone uh, directed oh. by Henry Selleck. Uh, I love Monkey Bone. That's I a think, throwback. Had Brendan Fraser. You you remember that? That's great. Because yeah, that was. I, <laughs> I think the one live action movie that Henry Selleck. Uh, well, actually, yeah, um, he, he did James and the Giant Peach as well. So that's live action stop motion hybrid. But uh, Monkey Bone had a lot more like in camera, you know, stop motion uh, effects. You, you know, compositing the the character of Monkey Bone alongside. A live action Brendan Fraser, so just uh, completely, you know, technically uh, marvelous film, but uh, at <laughs> just script wise, it just totally was a thud at the box office, and yeah, people didn't resonate with it at all. Um, so uh, yeah, that was a bit of a blow to Selleck's career, but then he rebounded with Coraline, and you know, hopefully Wendell and Wild, you know, even if that has been underseen. Uh, I think it's gotten some good word of mouth among you know the filmmaking community. Yeah, well, that's um, so yeah, they didn't realize that he could come back, and so that's why they take him. Um, but I honestly forgot what you were talking about. Yeah, Dottore. Uh, <laughs> I get, I got Yeah. Well, we were talking about Podesta doctor. when they like take Podesta. them and stuff. Yeah, it's like they take him because that's he ends up like realizing what happened later, and that's how he like tries to get him back because he's like, oh. You mean he comes back that's kind of what i think that's kind of like the story though um it, when they touch on like mortality is like because of course you know that geppetto's son dies in mm -hmm. because of the war and then like pinocchio in the beginning she's like yeah every time you do that it's going to take longer 
And so he eventually realizes, because at first he's like, no biggie, it's fine. I'll come back. It's cool. I don't care. But eventually he realizes that like in these intense situations that it's like, you need to be here like to help people. Like you don't want to just like take the easy way out and just come back to after it's done. Um, and I think he kind of realizes that because he's like, you got to send me back. I have to go back. And she's like, okay, well, like at the end, she's like, if I send you back, like you're not going to be immortal anymore. You will die. Oh yeah. When he, that's, that's when they're, when they get out of the whale. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, eventually, like as it progresses, he realizes like, I have to take this seriously because like mortality, especially because at that time he was immortal. So he's like, I'm not going to live forever. Like I'm going to live forever. So it's not a big deal. And she's like, yeah, but what about people around you? they're not going to live forever. Exactly. And like when she's trying to explain to him, like that's what makes being human or quote unquote being real so special is that like, it's a limited time thing, you know, to be human is to be, you know, not disposable. That's not the right word. I'm not disposable. You know, there's a, there's an expiration date. I mean, that's what makes life so special because like, if you can only keep coming back and death isn't part of the, factor anymore you know mm-hmm. but um like i mean doesn't candlewick die and he he's mm-hmm. another mm-hmm. one of the little parts oh he doesn't uh, i don't know i don't know that they ever no. like come out and say that he died uh, okay yes yeah, like there's a bunch of explosions bunch of bomb drops yeah, but like spoiler alert yeah podesta does die yeah <laughs> so it's uh it was a close call um, but yeah, yeah, interesting scene with uh, Candlewick, you know, betraying his father. And, yeah, and... which I think is like another touch on like parenting and like not being like being disobedient sometimes is a good thing because it's like his dad was like, you need to do this. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to be my son, you have to do this. And he's like, you know what? That's not the right thing to do. So I'm not going to do it. Sorry. And I think that's like the thing with having it be, you know, during this fascist Italy time between the World War One, World War Two, like. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a society of people who, like you said, they're they're being obedient and they're being blindly obedient. I mean, essentially, they're being puppets on strings. Like that's probably mm-hmm. part of this whole <laughs> metaphor here. It's probably what it all means. <laughs> and so the whole story about finding, you know, disobedience becoming a virtue in a way, and like, yeah, it's disruptive behavior and it's like kind of chaotic behavior, but it it's important because if you live your whole life just submitting to an authority figure, you're never finding out what is real. And I think like, that's such a big question throughout the whole thing. And like what we talked about at the very beginning is like, he wants to be real and to be real, you have to, you got to cut the strings, you know, you got to disrupt the system. And, and that's probably why, I mean, that's, that's exactly why he picked this time period to drop them in, you know? Yeah. Pretty brilliant. It really is. It, it really is. And um del toro you can tell he he explores just like so many different topics in one movie and i'm like i wish i had a brain like that that could you know <laughs> all these things together in one place but there also has to be people who consume the art so like i can just be someone who consumes it too First, you know? one question i have is like why why is pinocchio semi-mortal to begin with like you know he he has these moments where you know, he gets hit by a truck the first time and and that sends him into this afterlife stage. And um, it's just like, you know, to what extent is he like a living organism that can be killed? You know, is is he shot one time too? And and does he die by a bullet? At yeah, doesn't move. 
doesn't Mussolini like shoot him? Oh yeah, yeah, Mussolini. Yeah. Did he actually yeah. get shot? Yeah. I'm not sure if yeah. he actually died at that time or not. I think yeah, he does because that's yep. he'll come back later and then um it becomes he wakes up on the way to the war. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I'm not sure what capacity he is supposed to be alive. I mean, obviously it's enough where he has feelings of like love for Geppetto and he, and he has emotions and he mm -hmm. has a personality, but you're right. I don't know if you, if you wanted to like get in the nitty gritty of like what level of liveness is he like, mm -hmm. I guess 50, 50, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, yeah. That's kind of like what Del Toro, like I was reading about it and he's like, yeah, like he is a real boy regardless of like if he is like you know flesh and blood or wood i suppose um and i mean maybe that is like the question they want you to think like like how 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 human is human like maybe maybe we're just thinking into it too deeply i don't know but yeah, yeah he, he <laughs> has yeah, a I feel soul like he dies but he comes back but then eventually they make him she makes him mortal but then he becomes immortal again yeah, Sebastian J. Cricket has to use up his last little wish. He he's a funny little character. I I like the way they sort of make him he's sort of like a self-important kind of guy. He wants to like write his book and he has something to share. I, I liked him a lot in this movie. Yeah, he's yeah. not just the the conscious, the, the yeah. conscious. He's, he's like, no, like what is in it for me? Like, I don't want to do that. What's in it for me? <laughs> Right. He's a little bit selfish. He's a he's into himself. And so, I mean, he has big growth throughout the movie, too, because he he gives up his wish so that Pinocchio can essentially stay. Yeah, well, well, uh, and I was going to just nod to, uh, I guess, a reference that carries across multiple versions of Pinocchio, but like Pinocchio catching on fire at first he doesn't feel pain uh that must be an element from the book too perhaps because you know yeah you know, uh, pinocchio lights himself on fire in the disney version as well but yeah and then later on he does feel pain so maybe once he realizes it's realizes it's dangerous he uh associates burning with a, you know a negative feeling or something uh but anyways that's uh <laughs> just minor nitpicks um yeah the the whole you know, he's earning his way through the world as this, you know, moral agent and uh, <laughs> just, you know, reckoning with the consequences of mortality. Uh, very, some very interesting concepts uh, related to like suffering and life. I don't know. There's like a commentary on hell a little bit where the death spirit tells him, you know, this life can bring great suffering and eternal life can bring eternal suffering. <laughs> just kind of a, a morbid thought. Yeah. Well, yeah I, I thought it was kind of like a purgatory. That's, it seemed more like a purgatory than like an actual afterlife to me. Cause like, this is like the waiting area before so, you go. Yeah. Somewhere else the or landing something. stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I, and the, the death rabbits were very amusing to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. pretty, yeah. they, they're like death rabbits. Yeah. That are like sitting there when they're playing cards and stuff. Because I was like, what are these like weird minions that she has that are like death rabbits? Mm -hmm. it, it, the stylistic choices were very interesting. And I mean, it obviously speaks to Del Toro's like aesthetic. So like <laughs> this definitely fits this movie. And I mean, I remember it. I, I remember it much more than like the original Pinocchio, I feel like. <laughs> the original Pinocchio is really good too. They the something that I kind of thought this movie would follow 
was like, you know how that in the original Disney cartoon version, they go to like Pleasure Island or something where all the little boys get turned into donkeys? Yeah, because they're bad little boys. That's where bad disobedient boys go. (laughs) That's where like the bad little boys go. I thought that this one might do something sort of like that, but I guess going to war was the equivalent of a little trip. Although the the boys that were going to war were the ones who were submitting to the authority and trying to like, follow suit so i don't know but no one turned into a donkey this time around (laughs) i i love the boot camp parallel much i I mean i i just i like that idea honestly way more than the original of just this weird random carnival island is is just so bizarre and fantastic well it's weird because like he's at that time he's like a wooden boy puppet but then he grows donkey ears mm-hmm. and he becomes a donkey. And I'm like, but he's not a real boy yet in the original Pinocchio. I'm like, that's a weird twist. I, as a kid, I was like, I do not understand what's happening. Why does he have a, why is he a donkey? It, yeah. It not make sense. That <laughs> enchantment doesn't fully take effect with, with everyone and, and certainly doesn't with Pinocchio. Cause I guess, you know, he's not fully human. So is there something not fully human about the other like human boys who didn't turn into complete donkeys or they could still, you know, retain their human consciousness? Uh, no, they, they hadn't gone full donkey yet. OK, <laughs> and gone full NPC. No. Uh, yeah. Some of the symmetry is, is just great because, um, I mean, we associate war with kind of trauma and, and horror, but to some, it's it's like ecstasy. It gives you meaning and purpose, and it's it's this camaraderie that it builds. Um, it, it is kind of like a fantasy land in a way, um, and, and it is it's sort of dystopian in a way too that that a person should have to endure this kind of thing. Uh, so it just really changes you. Well, like you said, like the boot camp is kind of like similar to how the Pleasure Island was because like when you think about it, when you're at boot camp, you're just simulating war. You're not in it. And so like once they're like, oh, you have to start shooting people and there's bombs. It's like it becomes very real very quickly. Um, so I think that's like a good like comparison. Yeah, it's it's almost recreational in its own way. Um, yeah, they're like having fun, playing games, climbing up ropes. <laughs> they're having a good time until they're not. Of course, yeah. Until Pinocchio gets conscripted, he's doing his own little sort of USO tour which is kind of funny. And that's how he escapes that initial phase of, you know, conscription. Podesta, I guess, wants him for the war because he's, you know, seemingly immortal. And I, that is a weird contrast of Pinocchio's sort of um, assimilation into society. It does happen fairly quickly. <laughs> People get used to him. Uh, pretty straight on from the start. There, there's a little re- resistance, you know. It's a demon. It's you know, it's it's magic, but whatever. But eventually, he gets accepted, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't think I would be like as quick to accept the little wooden man <laughs> in my community, <laughs> but like, good for them. Like, good for you guys being progressive. Yeah, that is <laughs> progressive fascist. Maybe that's what they that maybe that's what they wanted. They're like, you guys need to be progressive. Accept people. Regardless of if they're wooden. That could be a story all in itself. Like, I mean, it's kind of like Edward Scissorhands. Like, you know, a weirdo comes to town and, you know, everyone has to find a way to accept him. But 
I they probably totally, could have yeah. fit it in. This movie was already two hours long. They couldn't add any more subplot. Yeah, uh, there are quite a few films that are basically Pinocchio, but not Pinocchio. And that's definitely one of them. I, I was trying to think of some examples. There's like AI from Steven Spielberg. Oh, I love that. Um, gosh, I mean, I don't know if I want to uh, reach for any more here, but, you know, just uh, it's it's just an archetype, basically, that gets utilized in a lot of different things. Uh, speaking of which, like, how old is his uh, Geppetto supposed to be? He's like, he looks like he's 90 years old, and yet he has this kid. Because I mean, I'm guessing they use the same character model throughout, and then he has this young boy who died and when he was 10. Years yeah, and 20 years are supposed to have passed between Carlo and... Okay. Is that stated anywhere? Okay, I saw that on Wikipedia, but I'm okay. just going to go with it. <laughs> Maybe. She's like, I'm just throwing out numbers. Um, doesn't, like a, doesn't a full tree grow? Yeah, that's the tree that Pinocchio is carved from. Yeah, 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 yeah. 20 years makes sense. And Yeah, because I mean, he could have very well been like 50 with, you know, I because that kid was like, what, 10, probably, 10-ish. Yeah. And then, but... you know, 20 years goes by and he's about like pushing 70. He still looks very craggy during the opening scenes. Well, it was a hard. I time. mean, it was war. Time, <laughs> people, people, people were like not living until like seventy back then. So. That's true. There was no vegetables. Like, <laughs> like my great grandma. Like looking at my mother as a grandmother at fifty, about to be fifty-two, and like looking at my great grandma at fifty-two, worlds a difference. Yeah, my mom looks like. I don't know. Like she's a fifty-year-old. My grandma at fifty looked like she was seventy. So it was the times. I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk it up to the times. The times. <laughs> and you know, Jimmy Cricket, or Sebastian Cricket, Sebastian J. You know, who knows if the J is uh, supposed to stand for? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a nod to the Disney version. But yeah, yeah um, he uh, he lives. I'm guessing longer than an average uh, Cricket lifespan. Uh, that portrait, by the way, that he hangs in his little office inside of Pinocchio, uh, that's yeah. uh, pessimist philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer. Uh, I'm not sure who that is, really. <laughs> I was like, who is that? <laughs> uh, but yeah, famous philosopher, I guess, who was an inspiration for, I guess he's a pessimist. That's what it's, uh, This is according to IMDb. So. <laughs> I want to say I read somewhere that they couldn't use Jimmy Cricket. I wonder yeah. if that's, that's why they gave him a different name. I, I want to say it's like a Disney. That name Disney wasn't thing. or was original to Disney, I should say. Yeah. And then they were like, they didn't want to use it, I guess. Or they'd they have to pay it. Disney. Yeah. yeah, they'd have to like pay for the rights to use it. And so they were like, yeah, we'll just nod to it. We'll get around. Yeah, I, I like that better. They never, what do they call him? They're like, what are you, a grasshopper? Like they never come out and they're like, yeah, you're a cricket, right? <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, I think they do. They're like, ah, Sebastian J. Cricket. I don't think it's an issue to t call him a cricket. I'm not sure if he yeah. is referred to as a cricket in the original book, um, but I, they were definitely calling him a cricket in all the behind the scene, behind the scenes yeah. stuff. Um, I, I was going to say with uh, Geppetto or or the the timeline. I guess the gap between you know World War Two and World War One is is close to twenty years, but there was also intermittent wars throughout the, Europe, uh, basically mm -hmm. that entire era. So like the bomb, you know, being um, 
just offloaded to clear out the ballast of the How fighter. How sad was that? And I feel like that's something that has got to actually happen. They're like, oh, we just needed to like lighten the load of the plane. Like that, the strike that hit Carlo, it wasn't like it was an intended attack on the town. It was just negligence in war. And that, I mean, stuff like that just makes me sick because you think of all the civilians, the innocent people affected by war, just what he was, Carlo was running into church to grab his pine cone, right? That was it. And that was his, I mean, meaningless death sentence i uh i hated that uh the entire yeah, it was very dark <laughs> it it maintained a pg rating which i'm i'm happy it's shocked it reclaims the pg rating which to me has just been watered down so much P- partly because i think studios want that pg rating because it gives the films more appeal to an adult audience when they're putting something out in theaters if something has a big old G on it, then teens and 20-somethings. That's for babies. Yeah, that's for babies. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I wish that weren't the case. It, you know, that wasn't how it was set out to be. But, you know, all these things go. The pine cone is a, is a, uh, a very important um, leitmotif throughout the film uh, and, and really informed the entire aesthetic of the film. I mean, it's a very distinctly Guillermo del Toro looking design uh, concept for this whole whole look of the film. But um, I, I, did you catch that? If you saw the behind the uh, behind the scenes material, like, yeah, the pine cone was sort of a reference that they had for like how sort of like the scale structure and the wood grain, you know. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. He was like to, well, and it was like they kind of wanted it to be like, that whole aesthetic and that like the pine cone is like okay you come from the pine cone so on and so forth mm-hmm. which i thought was interesting I, I was like this is like it's just crazy how much like thought went into it they're like yeah, yeah pine cones that's what we're gonna go with yeah like the tail of the death spirit um is, is scaly reminiscent to the pine cone uh, very cool the the creatures, of course, with the eyes on various parts of the body, you know, on the wings, you know, that's something we've seen, like Hellboy monsters and things like that. Um, so dotted throughout the uh, the filmography, you know, the classic um, the Thin Man or the White Man, whatever he's called in um, Pan's Labyrinth, who's got the eyes on his hands, you know. <laughs> so. Oh, I can't remember what his name was. Yeah, on his little fingers. The pale man. Yeah, he does the the thing. <laughs> Doug Jones. I was. I thought yeah. maybe uh, Guillermo del Toro really? would have brought Doug Jones in somewhere or another. You know, just as a voice, maybe. But um, actually, the voice of uh, Geppetto is is someone Guillermo's mm-hmm. worked with. On the podcast we listened. Well, I listened. We listened to before like coming on here. They said the voice of SpongeBob. Is also someone's voice in here? Mussolini. He was, yeah, oh. he's right hand man. Okay. Mussolini. Yeah, Tom Kenny. He was the sailor. Yeah, David Bradley uh, was the ground, well, the like the caretaker at Hogwarts. Oh, Gilch. Harry Potter. Gilch. Yeah, yeah, Gilch. That's a Gilch. Gilch. Yeah, and I because he was talking, and I was like, gosh, this guy sounds so familiar, and so I was like, of course, mm-hmm. I have to look it up. So <laughs> much to my husband's. Uh, protests he did not want me to look it up but yeah i was like ah oh. i was like i love that he's still working i love that for him he did a great job 
Um, great job by Gregory Mann, kind of a up and coming actor who played the voice of Pinocchio and Carlo. Um, was and the singing voice? I was mm -hmm. he the singing voice? I. Uh, it says Chow Papa was by Gregory Mann. Okay, yeah. He did sing it. Uh, which uh, Finn Wolfhard from uh, Stranger Things. He was Candlewick. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. They have a... And I like, I mean, like you said, like everyone wants to work with Del Toro, but they really did have quite the voice acting cat. Oh, yeah. Everyone's like top notch. I was like, I looked it up and I was like, man, they... They really, they really did it for this. <laughs> they really brought out all of it. I wonder if, you know, celeb, not celeb, uh, yeah, celebrities or artists or actors or whatever, if they, if they ever want to be on a project so bad that they like lower their rate to like work with the budget, because like the budget for this one, did anyone catch if it was high or low or what it was like? It was 35 million US dollars. Is that a lot for an animated movie though? I feel like that doesn't no. seem i don't know yeah. that doesn't seem right there's probably more but netflix just doesn't have to disclose uh after looking up the price of way of water like <laughs> that seems like nothing yeah ron perlman plays podesta by the way ron perlman was hellboy in the um in the hellboy movies by guillermo del toro uh but yeah the that 35 million dollar figure was something del toro threw out uh just in a in a time when he was still trying to get the movie made, you know, and pick you know financed basically by a a major studio, um, and then Netflix kind of swooped in, and then you know who knows what what they pumped into it could could have. Yeah, been, I suppose you know. if you're working on the project sort of in heats, like you've already done this much of it, and then it gets dropped for a bit, and you have to get it picked up by someone else. I don't know mm -hmm. how they keep track of all that. Yeah, I mean, the vast majority of the expenses would have come in after uh, it, it began in earnest once Netflix uh, was committed to the project. Um, because, yeah, I think primarily the production was completed, you know, over the course of the past maybe three, four years. I don't know, less than that. Because I, I think there are, yeah, like mid-pandemic when things were like really getting rolling so uh so like all the the animation itself really came into full swing you know within the last couple of years basically and then um the prior to that would have been like storyboarding and sort of pre-visualization there's they do a lot of like live action reference too so some of the writers um and you know storyboard artists and stuff they'll um film themselves acting out the scenes and then that can work as a, a reference for the animators as well oh yeah they did do that i saw that in the special where they were like because they wanted everything to move in a way that was like realistic to how people would actually move and so it's like when he's reading him the book while he's laying in bed they're like all right they like showed them the people on set like acting it out so they could see how everything would move um which i thought was interesting and then they also were saying that Guillermo del Toro also didn't want anything to be too clean. He was like, it's not realistic that these people who work with their hands and, you know, do manual labor are going to be clean people. And so they'd like dirty them up some and like put some stuff under the fingernails and they'd like take it to him and he'd be like, no, not dirty enough. Do more. Oh, <laughs> like really? do, do more. Yeah. He wanted it to like, he's like, I want them, like he didn't want them to be shiny, pretty puppets 
He's like, no, I want them to be like nitty gritty real people who get, you know, dirt under their fingernails. So he's very particular about that. <laughs> he had a vision. And so the, the animation of the faces, of course, there was silicone masks used on some of the character models and uh, just replacement pieces for others, uh, like the rigid characters like Pinocchio, um, you know, the front of his head comes off and they replace it, which made, had, uh, made me really curious how they animated the scenes when he's lying on his pillow, because like there's no disturbance of the pillow that I noticed, you know, as he's speaking and he's laying in bed. I would think, you know, if they're having to pull off a piece of his head while he's lying in his bed there, that it would cause some kind of disturbance to the surrounding pillow. But I it it was totally seamless. So I was like, how did how did they do this? Does do they just pull off his chin and then there's like a seam that they're covering up using um computer correction? But no, it's like his full whole yeah, faceplate comes face. off. So they must have a way of maybe foreground element. The pillow is just added later or they do, they do some manipulation to make it just totally stable. And it's not jittering from you know being disturbed by the anime or maybe the animators are just so meticulous that they can they can do the, you know, the replacement without uh, messing up any of the surrounding environment. I mean, huh. I could believe that because they were very <laughs> like everything was just so fluid. Like I watched, um, they animate, they like showed how they were animating uh, the scene where this monkey, like in the beginning, when you first see it is running through the town and they're like, yeah, that was like a fluid shot, which I guess is really hard to do with stop motion. Yeah. And I'm like, if they were able to do that, like, I would not be surprised if they were like, you know what, we'll just not touch this pillow and it will not move because we're that good. <laughs> that good. It's a flex. Yeah. yeah. But... Flex. So that guy doing that scene with the monkey, um, this like big burly guy in a sleeveless shirt for some of the, you know, the days that he's working. Kind of funny. He's just a big macho man doing the the stop motion animation. I I love it. Well, that's like they. Uh, so in the original Pinocchio, they had Bruno. I think his name was Bruno. Um, the the guy who plays Christoph Waltz's character, and I can't remember his name. Um, but they had that character and that's originally like who was going to be like the bad guy of the show. Um, but then Guillermo del Toro was like, I don't want that. I want someone who is like shaped that looks different. And so they were like, we had already spent like hours and hours and hours making this character and fabricating it. So then he's actually in, he's okay. in it. He's just someone who's walking around the town. Yeah. Stromboli like the is kind yeah. of the character. Yeah. Stromboli from the original uh, Disney, but I think, yeah, the character has a different name in the book, and I can't remember what that name is, but yeah, he's got a big beard in this film. Um, yeah, he was originally going to be the main villain instead of Volpe. Uh, kind of interesting. I'm and what to was, sorry, what was there a reason for switching it like that? You explained it, but I don't get it. They, he wanted someone that looked different, then why not just pick he was like, and I'm trying to remember specifically what they said, because it was in that special and they were like, they wanted someone with different lines that was like more animated. And I guess like this big burly dude was not like enough of a atypical villain <laughs> for yeah. him. Like he wanted someone who is like not a typical looking villain. Cause like you look at like, oh, he's like a big dude. He's probably really strong. Like yeah. you could see him being a stereotypical bad guy. 
-hmm. And so he was like, no, I want something completely different. And so they were like, okay, we have to scrap that and we'll just use them in the background. (laughs) The name is Mangiafuoco uh, of of the big bearded guy. And then, yeah, now he he was just um, converted into the strong man at the carnival. Yeah, the, the character of Volpe is adapted from the fox so volpe mm-hmm. and spazatura if i got the name right um spot yep spazatura uh are this film's version of the fox and the cat which that makes sense because mm-hmm. I, I did they mention that in the special that that's why like his hair was shaped like that to kind of like give the fox ears either that or one of you know one of the podcasts i listen to <laughs> it all runs together i, I listen to my my t- typical procrastinator self you know i, I did all that today <laughs> i know i guess it blurs together <laughs> I, i'm wishing i had watched that special i'm gonna watch it after this because i feel like there's a lot more for me to find out about this movie yeah it was really interesting like it was it's really it's just if you, even if you just want to watch like how they do it because they do give like a lot of back info but like just watching them make it i was like this is really cool i could never do that not without many many years of training and probably crazy you know on just a regular afternoon i'm definitely way more likely to just throw on a movie like puss in boots the last mm-hmm. wish than something like this but this is just so good that it almost kind of transcends the the weightiness um, to where like if I don't want something super heavy, I can at least sit and you know relish in the beauty uh, of the look of this film. So I'm I'm happy for that. But like in terms of like what should win, you know the the <laughs> the feature, you know uh, animated feature Oscar, you know clearly this probably had a little bit more thought considering it uh was uh you know the inception dates all the way back to 2008 if not early i'm sure guillermo del toro has had some idea of a pinocchio adaptation he would maybe do ever since early in his career um i think he said it was one of his favorite (laughs) stories yeah yeah he said that he he kind of like thought of it because he watched it he lived in mexico as a child and so he was like yeah i watched it and it was like this like horror movie to me and I loved it. He, yeah, cause, he, cause I mean, it is kind of scary. Like looking at it, like as a kid, you're like, oh yeah. Like he gets taken from his family and he's forced to work. And then he goes to this Island where he becomes a donkey and then he gets eaten by a whale. It's like, it's a crazy story. So like as a kid, you're like, oh man, if I'm not good, I'm going to die. <laughs> Which there was were... the moral of those stories for sure. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, be good, listen to your parents, or bad people will steal oh. you and you will become a donkey. <laughs> That's great. The uh it's part of his inspiration too for covering Pinocchio is just how yeah, the the inescapability of, of Pinocchio, but also um the recognizability of the character is on the order of like he boiled it down to like 10 fictional characters that everybody knows regardless of whether they've seen a version of these characters portrayed or not. Um, and I wish I could find the list of 10 because um, I I only heard reference to, to this list of 10 characters, but I mean, they, they include classics like you know frankenstein monster and dracula and, and a lot of these classic literary characters 
I wonder if he would update his list to include someone like you know, Darth Vader or uh, I don't know Harry Potter. <laughs> but yeah, things that like everyone knows who like Voldemort is. You put someone there with no nose, it's like that's Voldemort. I know who that is immediately. <laughs> or like the the little lightning bolt on the head for Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah I well, wonder. He's what the name of the book too. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. He's the title <laughs> character, but he he's the main character. <laughs> like, Elmo or Big Bird. I'm I'm surprised that Pinocchio is one of the characters actually, but I guess it's just part of the cultural DNA at this point, mm-hmm. having spent so many years. And uh, Pikachu. Speaking of lightning bolt, I, I think I heard yeah. that's that's the most commercially successful branded franchise, I guess, of all time. It was cr- some crazy stat, and I heard. Um, so uh, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it beat out. I want to say I was looking, I don't even know why, I was, but it was talking about like franchises that have been like the most, um, that have made the most money over time with, you know, shows and merch and all that. It was like, it was like Pokemon was number one. And then like Winnie the Pooh was like in the same, like one or two down from it. Yeah. And I was I like, think... really? Winnie the Pooh has done more, but I guess like Winnie the Pooh has know. been around forever. Yeah. And has been remade over. There's like a 2D version, the 3D version. Like there's so many different movies. My nephews are into Winnie the Pooh right now and it's it's everywhere. More so than I would say Pinocchio, but I guess I don't know. You wouldn't know like in other countries what might be more, what has more of a chokehold there, you know? This would include like merchandising and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was Uh, like merchandising and everything across the board. Mickey Mouse, I think was number two, like the Mickey Mouse and Friends characters. Um, but but by less, it was less than half of you know, uh, Pokemon. Pokemon so, has like been so yeah. prolific. They yeah. they really did it with that. But yeah, like I mean, Mickey Mouse has had a stronghold on my house since like my first was a toddler. I, I was like, oh my my youngest isn't really into it, but no, it's like the last six months. That's all he talked about. It's Mickey Mouse, right. and I'm like, cool. I'm like, that's fine. I've watched Mickey Mouse Clubhouse a hundred million times at this point, so. <laughs> Yeah, and I've never gone into Pokemon. I'm kind of a late comer on Mickey Mouse. Um, yeah, I had Pokemon cards. I, I remember the original 151. Yeah. Take it back. Take it back. <laughs> I, I definitely caught the bug when I was that age, but my parents didn't indulge it. <laughs> I don't know. That's fine because uh, the games never really had any appeal for me. You know, the the whole tabletop board game and i've probably talked about this on the show but like you know role playing i never games. got into that yeah, yeah like the playing the card game i have no idea how to do it because you actually they have like a game now that you can buy at target and i think also walmart where it teaches you how to play it and we got it because scarlet was like help me play this with me and i was like i don't know how to do this i had the cards and i played some of the video games nothing else <laughs> i have never played with the cards that's good I, I like, uh, you know, to tie it back into animation, you know, I like the kinetic force of, you know, watching a character move on screen and, and the fluidity and the dyna- dynamism of of the motion of, um, you know, of animation and, and, um, and the film medium. And that's one thing that things like role-playing video games are sorely lacking in that all the movements are just so stilted you know it's all turn-based and command-based mm. uh, and that's why those kinds of games never appealed to me you know the closest thing to that that i'd really gone into over the course of my life 
uh, is the game Skyrim, you know, the Elder Scrolls video game. Um, but that's it plays largely like a third person adventure game, uh, but just with some elements of like a role playing game. I know I, I, I like uh, I like my candy coated uh, uh, eye, eye candy, I should say. Well, I will say my husband got me the hockey game for Valentine's Day. What game? And like Hogwarts Legacy. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And I will tell you, that is a pretty game. Okay, it's yeah. It's very cool. So if you're if you're a Harry Potter person and you also like games where you can go around and do things and touch stuff, it's a great game. I I'm not it. a video. I'm not. A, I'm like Philip. I'm not like a video game person either, and I don't even really like to watch them. But Ryan just got the Harry Potter one as well. It's so and fun. I will say, like, I, I'll be walking through and I'll I'll watch it for a little bit, but because it is, it is compared to pretty much any other video game, it's it's really pretty. Like you feel immersed in that environment. But I'm much more like Philip, where it's like I just I like to watch the fluid movement. I want to watch the the story unfold. I don't want to be part of it. Like I just want to <laughs> I just want to view it and have the eye candy, like he said. Yeah, it, well, it's like it's like going to Universal, but you can touch everything and do stuff. <laughs> I will say fighting spiders, not my favorite thing. Don't do that. That That is the one time I don't want to be a part of it. It's fighting spiders. That's scary. Uh, <laughs> but back to Pinocchio. Uh, I will say, I think like with Pinocchio <laughs> too, <laughs> um, the, the recognizability is the fact that it's also a fairy tale. So it like transcends the movie because it was a fairy tale first. So even if you don't know the movie, if you're old enough, it's like, okay, this was a story and then a movie. Because I actually looked it up. So Jimmy Cricket was not... Uh, it was not a thing until the movie that Disney did in the 40s. Um, there was like a unnamed side character that he accidentally kills and then it comes back as a ghost. And so Disney took that and made him Jimmy Cricket. So he'd have like a fun comical side character to hang out with. Did you happen to see when you pulled that up when the original fairy tale, I know it's kind of hard for them to date these things, but was it like the 1800s, 1880s, or something. Because it's it's a throw. Oh, 1883 novel, The Adventures yeah. of Pinocchio. Yeah. So that was, and I mean, stories were oftentimes, as we all know, like told before they were written down. So I'm sure this was, you know, yeah. going word to word. But then somebody actually like wrote the story. Maybe. The nose growing due to the lie telling, um, and that was something in this movie, like a nod to some story the Geppetto's telling Pino or Carlo. He's he's telling him a story about was a hedgehog or something whose nose grows when he lies. Did you catch that moment? Mm -mm. Um, I don't. I vaguely remember it, but I don't remember what exactly this. It was like, like a. This a hedgehog or a porcupine or something and its nose grows um whenever probably a hedgehog because they have the i think porcupines yeah, are tech yeah the because um porcupines are technically rodents because they have the sort of split um you know for upper lip uh you know they've got yeah, the rodentia the teeth mm -hmm. but he that's why hedgehogs aren't technically rodents because they don't have the rodentia teeth uh, <laughs> just a little uh, zoological factoid but um... well that was something else I read that it's like in this version not only does his nose grow when he is lying but it also grows when Pinocchio is dishonest with himself huh. so it's like not being truthful to himself in his convictions and then his nose is like nah, that's a lie <laughs> um, 
Pinocchio was having the time of the town when he got to lie his way out of the big um, whale. It was funny because I was telling my nephews when they were here, I said, oh, I watched the movie Pinocchio, but it made me so sad because I thought of you. And he's like, what's Pinocchio? He's like, oh, a little boy that told lies. And he goes, lies are bad. And I'm like, yeah, lies are bad. But I was like thinking, I was like, I don't know if you guys on TikTok have seen where it's like they tell the kid, hey, okay, tell me one you can say one naughty word or like, I'm going to let you say one naughty thing, or you can tell me one lie. And just like, the, the I've seen that it. they think of in their head. And so I loved, how, I loved Pinocchio when he was like, what was he? I can't remember the lies he was saying when he was inside the thing, but he's like, can you remember the stuff he was um, saying? Like, I hate those- you. I hate, you know, um, yeah. I, he's like I, saying I, stuff that's like mean. I love war. <laughs> I, oh yeah. Yeah. I love war. <laughs> uh, I love the smell of, onions uh mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Um, the things that he thought of to be his lies yeah I, and you get to see like the removal of the growth <laughs> which is something you don't with like uh the disney version or i don't think the shrek version or whatever but it's like i mean kind of a minor inconvenience all you have to do is take a saw and and <laughs> pull off the the excess uh but you know in in the Disney version, the blue fairy comes in and uses her magic to shrink it down back to normal size. That's kind of a yeah, uh, cheap. It's better up. this way. Like Geppetto would never run out of wood for the fire. Like you'd never be cold in the winter. You just need your son to tell you a couple lies, and you're good to go. <laughs> we need some kindling. Get to it. Yeah, that's uh, <clears throat> very <laughs> in defiance of all physics and reality. I suppose the. Uh, is there some kind of karmic cost to uh, producing all of that excess material from thin air? <laughs> I wonder. Well, yeah, that too. Well, it's kind of like when he like burns his legs off. It's like, oh, we can just replace them. So I'm like, what? What? What are the rules here? <laughs> Got to yeah. suspend our disbelief sometimes with these things. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose it does cause pain for him to break his nose off, and. Uh, he also gets tired. There's a scene where he needs to rest at, during his little tour with Volpe. Um, Volpe is prodding him to just keep working constantly, but uh, he get, he does get tired. Uh, so yeah, he's a, he's a real boy. Moral of the story. And you don't have to have this big transformation to be real. And that's a good reminder. You don't have to switch into flesh and blood to be real. Yeah, I, when and it ended love, like that, you know? yeah, like it ended, and I was like, wait, he stayed wood? <laughs> I was like, I'm perplexed. Such a pedal so I had to look it up. Yeah, well, it was like, like I guess his whole thing was like, no, he's been a real boy the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, the concept. Mm-hmm. He's been a boy the whole time. And I'm like, oh, I guess that makes sense. Because, like, even when he, like, you know, he comes to life, and he's like, I am a real boy. And they're like, no, you're not. And he's like, no, but I am. Like, hello, I'm alive. I like hot chocolate. I can burn my legs off. I'm a real boy. And so I'm like, yeah, I was like, I guess it makes sense. Once I looked at, like, looked at the reasoning. But I, at first I was like, why did he not turn into a boy? I'm confused. I also thought it was interesting that he, like, so he becomes immortal again. But it's kind of like, you know, it it ties into that mortality again. Because the, the wood spirit had, like, or wood sprite or whatever had told him that. Like, it was like, yeah, like, there is suffering. Um that can come from immortality because he basically watches everyone like pass away and he just goes off to venture 
and to the world and do whatever he does because he is an immortal wood boy. So I, was, I thought that was interesting when the cricket did his wish that it makes him immortal again and not just like mortal like them, I yeah. guess gives them some kind of mortality. I thought that was an interesting concept that they're like, no. So and maybe it's like cherish what you have because eventually it's going to be gone kind of thing. Yeah. No, I haven't, haven't talked about Ewan McGregor too much, but it was good to hear his voice. I, I forgot he was in this. So. Yeah, he's uh, a cricket. Good, great job. <laughs> uh, hard a toss up between him and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, of course, you know, who was the veteran. <laughs> uh, you, you guys don't, probably don't even, have you heard the the new Jiminy Critic, Cricket, <laughs> Jiminy Critic uh, update in the new version? Um Mm-mm. Yeah, it's it's Joseph Gordon Levitt. Oh no, I didn't it's know. It's not that. terrible, but it's it's pretty. Nah. It's nah. not terrible, but it's <laughs> not my face. That's not a glowing review. <laughs> it's it's not it's it's definitely not as good as the um, Jimmy Stewart, uh, Jiminy Cricket character in uh, Puss in Boots. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. You, you haven't. Have you seen the Puss in Boots? Yeah, uh, Jody, there, there is, he does make an appearance. He's a fairly, you know, significant supporting character in the new Puss in Boots movie. It's kind of funny. <laughs> no, okay, I think, uh, you know, what? I think that's where I got confused earlier because we've also watched that recently. And so, yeah, they're yeah. like, you're a grasshopper. Uh, <laughs> they're like, what are you, a bug, a grasshopper of some kind? <laughs> that's like four movies in one year with pen- appearances by Pinocchio and you know multiple characters from Pinocchio because Pinocchio does show up in he does. Puss in Boots. He's the, yeah, he's the reason <laughs> that his uh his cart wasn't doing well because his show was going so well. <laughs> oh, yeah. There should have been a little Jack Horner cameo in this in uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> he he could have been he could have been the villain. It would have been perfect. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, a bully, yeah, like a child villain, you know, uh, sort of one of Candlewick's cohorts. Um, all right, well, we've uh, gone on for pretty much long enough, Jody. I was going to ask you; it's been burning at the back of my mind. Um, you you study like criminal justice or like political science in in college? Yeah, was it? yeah. criminal justice was my major for okay. college. I want right. to graduate with, but I'm not using it. Yeah, I thought you did something sort of <laughs> politics. I think you adjacent. use it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it ended up being too real. Like I needed immediately to escape as soon as I graduated from that um, area. But I still find it very interesting. So here is more uh, war crimes that we're we're discussing, <laughs> which uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they touched on during your coursework. Yeah, they did, and we, and we would talk about different things you know and and political crimes and war crimes i mean in this movie i'm not really sure i mean shooting the puppets and dropping the bombs probably all of those things would would fall under it the unfortunate thing is like people literally never pay their dues so i'm guessing i'm guessing well whatever happened to mussolini wasn't he a okay so he paid his dues hopefully uh well it kind of like I will, I will say that it's like, I'm not, I wasn't a criminal justice major. I was a communications major, but it ties in a lot to like propaganda and like, you know, persuasive mm-hmm. speeches and things like yeah. that, which you got with a lot of dictators and of course like cognitive dissonance. So like 
people going like during war times so like oh, I don't agree with the war but like I have to do this to like save my family or do this and so it's like they are like trying to basically make these things that are technically wrong feel right for them um so they don't feel bad about participating in the war mm-hmm. which is really interesting especially like in all of these stories where you know there's dictators and people were kind of forced to do this stuff so, I mean some yeah, people did it willingly a little bit we talked a little bit about this with sea beast how it's like yeah you know, propaganda and right things. and just how you convince yourself like are you uh you know a hero or a villain depending on how you've told the story yourself and it, it says Mussolini was executed so yeah that's why I was like I was pretty sure he was killed no um, I feel like most of the dictators of that time were that happened Dude, to so. see this look at this portrait <laughs> of uh Mussolini Ooh, it, I love the hat it looks <laughs> Doesn't the face look just like how he they, was sculpted? They look, yeah, they yeah. like were a picture and they were like, yes. Was he short? I wonder if he was short because they made him very short. <laughs> how tall was he? Mm-hmm. I don't know if they put the height on there. Yeah, they might not put it on. Yeah. Well, because they made, yeah, they made him like, oh, he was 5'7". So he was like, it, I think that's yeah. like an average height now, but. Short enough to short make side. it. Yeah. yeah the, you know, they always do the caricature. Yeah, short enough to stand out next to someone who's like six foot. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, cool. Well, thank you both for sharing magnificent insight on this magnificent film. Um, amazing. Let's just, call it a masterpiece. Yeah. Let's call this one a masterpiece. I oh, think definitely. 10 yeah, out of 10. Five stars. 10 out of yeah. 10. No, I think so. And it was definitely, it was one of those movies that, like I did watch it with my kids, even though apparently Guillermo del Toro was like, this is not a movie for kids. Like this is not a babysitting movie. You can watch it to like have a conversation. Don't just put them in front of the TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He described it as a family movie. You know? Yeah, he's like, don't just put them in front of the TV. It's not that kind of movie. But I did, I liked it because it wasn't one of those movies that I like sat on my phone. Like I was captured by the movie. I'm like, it looked good. The story was good. Like, I don't think I've been like touched by a kid movie in a while. Because there were some times that I was like, this is like, really deep and dark and i did not expect that um but yeah it's just 10 out of 10 good movie like watch it with your kids watch it by yourself it's a good movie yeah recommend jody final thoughts ditto i I, i've been saying that this whole thing through um but i think if you're a tender-hearted person this is one that maybe you want to like watch at the right time because like truly some of it is especially if you have little kids in your life or or you have unresolved childhood traumas <laughs> you may want to or you know you know it, it is one like it's an emotional one just like you said so if you're tender-hearted be sure you're in the right mindset before watching it very good um, my final note was i pinocchio is very cute i thought his uh design was sort of reminiscent of like a meme of a, a happy looking fish or something. So I shared a little gif of uh, an axolotl to our chat <laughs> that kind of oh. looks like Pinocchio. Yeah, I, <laughs> you said that and I was like, I had not even put those two together, but yeah. he does look like a little happy axolotl. <laughs> Especially <laughs> the eyes. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, there, there's the little thing now if, you, if you're able oh, to see it. There. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> but, I, I, we love axolotls there's... in this house. We, I don't want one, but they're very cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a little like the the, the whole gnarled, you know, design of his uh, just woodenness and his sort of imperfection. You know, he's an imperfect little pine cone, 
uh, because Geppetto in this version was drunk while uh, while carving him. But uh, the face, you know, is, is very cute and based on a design from Gus Grimley, uh, Gus Grimley uh, illustrated 2002 edition of the book. So uh, that was consistent with uh, how Guillermo del Toro wanted to depict the character. Well, yeah, because they only gave him one ear. They were like, yeah, we yeah. want him to be like going through it and, you know, kind of, you know, drunk and doing his thing. And so that's why he only had one ear. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a Frankenstein sequence when he's uh, carving the puppet, puppet initially and uh, Sebastian is witnessing it and he yells, uh, it's a house of horrors. And then <laughs> that causes one of the mechanical clocks to like come out and I don't know, uh, unleash violence upon it. I can't remember. Oh, the bird, the bird pops out. Yeah, like a it's like a cuckoo clock. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but I could see uh, Sebastian shouting the same exact thing upon witnessing the clocks from the Disney live action Geppetto shop <laughs> where there's a bunch of horrors, but in the form of uh, tired, pop culture references to all sorts of <laughs> Disney, you know, films and just like Disney getting a, a little carried away with itself, clearly, in, oh. uh, in, that, in that little they, moment. They, they love Easter eggs. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like they're beating you over the head with it. So, yep, this is our episode on Pinocchio from director Guillermo del Toro and director Mark Gustafson. Uh, so there, there are two directors on this film. Um, we I, we didn't even mention Patrick McHale, the creator of Over the Garden Wall, who's credited as a screenwriter. Love... Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't think he was that horribly involved, but he did do work on the script for this film. So yeah, uh, some symmetry there with sort of a dark take on an animated project. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, go out and see uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio streaming on Netflix. It's up for an Academy Award. This is the 95th Academy Awards. Um, I know I said on the stream and I cut it out. <laughs> it's the 93rd. So uh, never mind that gap. It's the 95th um, uh, on the stream, on the call. We don't stream these live. We maybe should consider that at some point, but... Uh, we'll we'll get there. Um, but yeah, thank thank you everyone for listening. Uh, Jody, where can people find you on on uh, social media? Right now, just TikTok, which is Jody Pulaski forty seven. Um, I post princess stuff and travel stuff and just a little bit of everything. And then you'll find me here, hopefully, every week, always. <laughs> All right, Bridget. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. That's Bridget. That's Bridge with a T five two four six. All right. Find the Thoughtcast, uh, thoughtcast.com, streaming on all kinds of podcast streaming platforms. And uh, at Thoughtcast on Twitter and Instagram. To find me at Philip Elke on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, well, it's very fun. And uh, yeah, we I mean, we don't always make the weekly show, you know, but uh, getting getting closer and closer to the to just uh, making this a uh, part of our regular routine and this, you know, endless things to talk about. You know, of course, there's no time is limited and we all have, uh, you know, l other lives too. So uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate the, the time you guys are willing to come and, and do this, um, you know, just 
it's it's beyond words so thank you bridget and and jody and uh wishing everyone here a magical day a wonderful week and warm hugs